Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 42 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time, we have an audition of a detective series starring Howard Duff. Not as Sam Spade, but Mike McCoy in a program called The McCoy. I wonder how many of our listeners know about this, Carl. Unless they're diehard fans of Howard Duff, probably very few. But after they listen to today's podcast, it will be clamoring for more episodes. The McCoy was a proposed detective series in an attempt to revamp the successful Sam Spade under a new title. Duff had starred as hard-boiled detective Sam Spade in the weekly Who Done It since it debuted on ABC in July of 1946. It later moved to CBS and then NBC. In 1947, the Adventures of Sam Spade Detective earned an Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America in the Best Radio Drama category. It became one of the most successful detective series on radio and is cited as the medium's gold standard for that genre. Of course, Sam Spade had been created by author Dashiell Hammett in his detective story The Maltese Falcon, which was initially published in 1929 in serialized form in the pulp magazine Black Mask, and then in book form in 1930. The novel was then adapted into three films by Warner Brothers. And it was the third production in 1941 that brought fame to the Sam Spade character. The 1941 film was directed by John Huston and starred Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade, with Mary Astor as Bridget O'Shaughnessy, Peter Lorre as Joel Cairo, and Sidney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman. A radio adaptation was presented on the Lux Radio Theater February 8, 1943, with Edward G. Robinson as Spade. Three years later, on July 3, 1946, the Maltese Falcon aired on Academy Award Theater. But this time, Humphrey Bogart, Mary Astor, and Sidney Greenstreet recreated their original film roles. And some 10 days later, The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective made its debut on radio. Howard Duff, who had auditioned and won the Spade role, was known to producer-director William Spear from his previous involvement on Suspense. Duff was a veteran, not only in radio, but also as a result of his military service during World War II. In a 1975 interview, Duff said that, along with Elliot Lewis, they were the two key individuals in charge of editing the commercial network shows that were packaged by American Forces Radio Service to be sent to military installations around the globe. We hear both Lewis and Duff as the armed Forces radio announcer on many shows. Duff called himself Sergeant X, and Lewis went by the moniker T4Y. And before Duff entered the Army, he had gained his radio experience at stations in Seattle and San Francisco. It was in San Francisco during the late 1930s that Duff played the lead in the juvenile adventure series The Phantom Pilot 
on the Don Lee Network. That was his first leading role in a radio show. When the program was transferred to Los Angeles, Duff also made the move to Southern California. He was soon in demand by directors and was cast in Big Town and Latitude Zero, among many others. The Sam Spade series was enjoying much popularity in the late 1940s when Dashiell Hammett, who had limited involvement with the program, became the subject of the congressional hearings on the influence of communists in the entertainment world. Hammett's name was listed in red channels, as was Duff's, a publication that accused some 150 individuals of being communist sympathizers. The radio networks and sponsors became leery of both Hammett and Duff. Sam Spade was canceled in September of 1950, and with it, Duff lost his role. However, after much audience protest, the program returned to the air two months later, but with Steve Dunn as the new Sam Spade. Duff was off network radio for a year when he decided to attempt a comeback. He sought out one of radio's foremost writing teams, David Friedkin and Morton Fine. You're about to hear the results of that collaboration. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Howard Duff as criminal investigator Mike McCoy in the audition of The McCoy, as originally recorded at the NBC Studios in Hollywood, April 23, 1951. This is The McCoy. The National Broadcasting Company presents The McCoy. Starring Howard Duff. Come on, door, open. What do you want me to say to you, door? Sesame? All right, sesame. The thing I hate is a door that has to be coaxed. Take that. For the file, uh, Mike McCoy, Criminal Investigations, file number 354, 22 April 1951. Los Angeles, California. Where else? Case, the uh, three wayward girls. It was 5.20 of a dirty day. The sun beat through the smog and still had strength enough to kiss the summer dresses walking Sunset Strip. The girls walking their poodles home to Daddy, who'd had a hard day at the office. Having nothing better to do, the dogs and I chatted. I uh, took my leave, and I tiptoed through the Cadillacs, patted their saucy fishtails, watched my hand turn green, then walked into Shea Mason's on the strip. The kindly picture folk were already there, exchanging pills from matching cloisonne pillboxes and discussing the high cost of nervous breakdowns. Then Herm, the maitre d', saw me, ad-libbed his way through all that box office gold, offered me two things. Mabel, knew she'd phoned three times, and the specialty of the house... Admiral Haughty Goulash with matzo balls. I took the matzo balls. The fork was cutting through their delicate contours when there was a hand on my hand. Fool that I am, it annoyed me. But when I saw that the moist hand on mine belonged to Phil Gardner, peddler, talent agent, shill for plaid dinner jackets, it annoyed me even more. Only a minute, Mike. Scooch over a little bit. I'll sit down next to you. You want something, huh, Phil? 
And I'll tell you how I know. You keep licking your lips, your handshakes, which reminds me, take back your hand. I've had it. Mike, I want you to go to work for me. Right now. From this minute, you're on salary. Yeah, with expenses. Per diem. Filzy, my monster balls are growing colder. It's for Toby. Toby Drake. I'm putting you on the payroll. You remember Toby built you up to her, gave you a knockdown to her? You had a season's pass with her. You remember Toby. What's the matter, Phil? The girl getting lonely for the McCoy again? Lonelier than you know, Mike. The girl's being threatened. With phone calls, with poison letters. You're doing real good, Phil. Mike, Mike, listen. Listen close because I'm going to almost whisper. Well, that should be refreshing, but not so close. Somebody's going to kill her. Yeah, murder her dead. Toby's my client. It shouldn't happen to my client to die from an anonymous threat. You tried, Phil. You really did. Uh, Mr. Gardner, there's a phone call for you. Will you take it here? Thanks, Charlie. Mike, you've got to pay attention to me. you got to. I got uh, matzo balls. Gardner speaking. Snap it out. I'm busy. Huh? Huh? No. Yeah, huh? No. Yeah. Phil, why don't you talk to me like that when you talk to me? You're dynamite with monosyllables. I'll bet now you'll believe, skeptic. Toby's dead. No jokes, Phil. I'm not in the mood. Her boyfriend just called. I should be the first to know. I tell you, she's dead. Dead? If you're kidding me... Look, I'll drive you over in my cab. I'll put the top down, Mike. Sure. Sure. You wouldn't want to go to a funeral any other way, would you, Phil? His way. There, you see? You see, Mike? What did I tell you? She's dead. My client... Shut up. The place was swarming with new things. New chintz curtains, fresh upholstery, and Beverly Hills Oriental knickknacks cluttering the Grand Rapids high boy. There was a big overstuffed chair near the door that I remembered. And Phil climbed into it and put his chin in his hands to watch... I walked over to the three-piece sectional. Toby Drake was lying there, her hand trailing down on the floor. I couldn't see her face until the big man stood up. Somebody wrapped that black silk stocking too tight around her neck. You know her, Mike? Yeah, I knew her when she looked better. I liked her. She laughed at my jokes. You wrapped the stocking? You only ask because you're a cop, huh, Koska? I only ask because if I were a cop, I'd ask. The call came and said, get here because there was a dead girl named Toby Drake. And on the way down, I toyed with the name. Then I remembered she used to laugh at your jokes. And all of a sudden, you're here. Why? Ask him. What is it? Something they have around town, an agent. He's Toby's. He's an agent? Hmm. I got a look. You're an agent, eh? Well, now. Well, well. Let me bend my face close because I've never seen one of you before. Talk to me, Agent. I want to hear. Well, Lieutenant... Just Detective Koska. Go ahead, go ahead. It, it was like this. Mike and me sit there at Mason's, two and five. And the phone was brought over. The man on the other end says it's Roy Fulton. And he says his girlfriend's dead. Honest, I... I'm broken up about this. Well, now. Well, well. You wrapped the stocking, Agent? Me wrap. Leave him alone, Koska. Leave him alone. Agents only kill other agents. Thanks a lot, Mike. I'll jot it down in the book. You've been hired, Mike? I was, but I don't know if I'm still working. You're working? All the way, Mike. Find out for me who killed my client, Toby. Oh, you're hired. These guys employ you, huh? Look, Koska, I got a crummy license and I'm in a crummy business because people sneak up dark alleys, because people hate, people rob, people strangle. 
That's where my money comes from, because people do all those things. What do you want me to do? Apologize for earning a buck? You want me to crawl? Or maybe just bow low enough so you can pat me on top of the head and say, Oh, now, Mike. Oh, now, Mike. Yeah. Where's her boyfriend? He's in the bedroom. He's a guy by the name of Roy Fulton. He hardly says a word to me. Maybe you're not his type. Well, go talk to him, Mike. Go tell him it's okay that you should talk to him. Let me count the ways I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. Go on. Go on. I like it. Who are you? I'm uh, Mike McCoy. I'm a criminal investigator. Toby's dead. She was murdered, Mr. Fulton. I'm trying to find out who did it. We had a date. I came here. I saw her. I didn't lose my head. I called her agent. Then I called the police. Did you kill her? No. But she should have been more careful. Girls like her. What kind of a girl did you think she was? Very pretty. In my old griefs and my childhood's faith, I love thee with a love... Uh, Mr. Fulton... I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath... Mr. Fulton, Smiles, I... tears of all my life, and if God choose, I shall but love thee better after his death. I couldn't get through to him anymore. The poetry he spotted stood between us. In his own way, Mr. Fulton was grieving. So I got out of the place. Then a fascinating 20 minutes in the center lane of Pico Boulevard, getting dared by the pedestrians and the swarms of cars on both sides of me. The parking lots had just hung their 50 cents till closing signs when I drove up to the office building on Olive. Then to the corner beanery and a few reminiscences about Toby Drake. Toby, a kid who had once won a title, something like Miss Donegal Tweed of Patterson, New Jersey. Expenses paid to Hollywood, shake hands with the stars, lunch at the Derby. A nice kid, a pretty kid. Now dead. I bought a paper and went upstairs. Sesame. I had to rent an office that once belonged to a Persian rug merchant. Preston Call Service. McCoy, baby. Any calls for me? You know who, Mike? Mabel? Four times. What happens to a girl when she goes out with you? She's got a call every half hour on the half hour? I'm delicate. They worry. You worry about me, Judy? Cut it out, Mike. You worry about me, don't you, kid? You got another call with a message. You want it? Sure, Judy, sure. Go ahead. I'll listen. Goes like this. First Toby, then Stella Martin. You can't stop it, McCoy. First Toby, then Stella Martin. You ad-libbing this, Judy? It says right here. Who left the message? The man said it and hung up. What's Stella Martin's he mean? I wish I knew, baby. We had a Stella Martin who used this service a long time ago, an actress or something. I used to get calls for her. She discontinued. You got an address on her? No more. Why don't you try central casting? They'd know. Yeah, yeah, I should have thought of that. Thanks a lot. Take this card, Miss McCoy. Take it. Uh, yes, Miss Ford. Fill it out. Central Casting wants to know your age, weight, height, color of eyes. They do? Uh, it does? Gosh. You're fresh. You're new. They'll eat you up. Hmm? Uh, for color of eyes, put heart-shattering robin's egg blue. I haven't been well. Uh, the space where it says experience? Leave it blank. I'll fill it in myself. Steady girl. Two can play at that game. 
It'll all be so simple. You put yourself in these two hands. I devote myself to you, heart and brain. Mm -hmm. Make you the most exciting thing in pictures. The most exciting. Uh, study girl. Heel, heel. Don't back away from me. Don't be frightened of me, Mr. McCoy. It's not that I'm frightened, Miss Ford. It's just that my metabolism's a little sluggish today. You're a fool. Worse, a hard-headed, stupid, moronic, cretin fool. Hard-headed? They'll tell you outside what you want to know. Get out. No, no. Now, you tell me, baby. Hmm, baby? What do you want? Well, right now, the address of Stella Martin, actress, after that, we'll uh, meet in conclave, shall we? I'll have to look it up. In the files. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Stella Martin dropped from our ready file. Non-payment of dues. Uh-huh. Well, there must be an address where you're done to. Las Flores Hotel on Selma. The Las Flores Hotel. Well, that burned down last month. It should happen to you, Mr. McCoy. <sighs> Come on, I'll open a door for you. No hard feelings, huh, baby? Miss Ford, baby? I'll remember you always. Bye. Cute kid. Make a note, McCoy. Must wear a chest protector. Mike, over here in the car. I called your phone service, Mike. They told me where you were. I've been looking for you. You're taking my money. You don't even call me on the telephone. You know a girl named Stella Martin, Filsey? Stella? What's she got to do with Toby's dime? You know her, Filsey? A couple of weeks ago, a girl came into my office, Stella Martin, pleaded I should put her on my client's list. Only no talent, you know what I mean? To soothe her tear-stained face, I took her home. Lives all the way to Westchester. I've never been to Westchester. Make it come true, huh, Filsey? It was just nine o'clock when Agent Phil let me off in front of a redwood frame house in Westchester. Then he suddenly remembered he had to pick up a client at the airport, and speedy Phil Gardner, game to the core, went back into the traffic again. The walk up to the house was lined with rose trees, carefully tended, and on every fourth one, there was a rose. But there was only one doorbell, so I knew just what to do. You want what, mister? Stella Martin. She live here? You're who? Mike McCoy, Investigations. You got a card says that? Let's go inside, huh? Just you got a card, just show me. Is Miss Martin here? No card, huh? If I say yeah, she's here, then what happens? I said inside. Now, where is she? I'm glad you pushed me, sonny. Now I got a reason. What? Oh! When I opened my eyes, the guy was still there, all seven feet of him. You ain't gonna take me, Shamus. You ain't gonna take me. Oh. This time, I played at Brainy. I peeped first. He was gone. I got to my feet. I got to my feet. Fell down, then finally made it over to the hallway where there should have been a bathroom and a towel and some water. The thing that stopped me was the girl in the negligee. She was sitting on the floor against the wall. She was blonde, and her head was turned to one side as if she was wondering about me. There was a stocking tied around her throat, and she was dead. You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. I'll do it! 
If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now, back to Radio Rarities. And now, back to The McCoy, starring Howard Duff. I didn't know whether I'd been out for a few minutes or a few days. I decided on the minutes because the girl's body was still warm and Death hadn't taken charge long enough to wipe the prettiness out of her face. I'd seen her a couple of times long ago in the jungle picture spliced between the main feature and the newsreel, the girl in the puttees who gets chased by the lion, Stella Martin. I stopped trying to convince myself it wasn't real. It was real, all right, and I didn't need the pounding on the door to knock it into my head. I didn't need Casca either, but I had him. What is this, Mike? You on a rampage? You want to know what happened, or you want to be a big man? Now, just be gentle with me. That's all I want you to do, Mike. Fifteen minutes ago, I was in a warm bed. Just be gentle. I got slugged. A man seven feet tall in a black leather jacket. Hmm. Look, Mike. I spent five hours questioning Roy Fulton about the murder of his girlfriend, Toby. Nothing. He quoted poetry. Then I climbed into this warm bed, and I was sleeping fine. Then Sergeant Hurd called. It seems someone phoned in this address to Sergeant Hurd. You were saying what, Mike? She's in the hallway, propped up against the wall. Show me. Here she is. She's young and she's strangled and her name's Stella Martin. You want to clear it up for me? You want to listen about a guy in a black leather jacket? Seven feet tall, ain't it? Yeah, seven feet tall. Find him. That shouldn't be tough for a sharp fellow like you. Now, don't be sour on me, Mike. You took some lumps and you... Hmm. You see this, kid? What? This. She's holding something in her hand. Well, now. Well, well. Read it, Mike. Read what it says on the paper. There'll be another one tomorrow, McCoy. Another one tomorrow, McCoy. McCoy. Well, now. What makes me so popular, Costco? Why doesn't it say your name? Why doesn't it say Sergeant Hurd? Because it says McCoy. Because it says the name of a guy I stumble over when I get out of a warm bed. Because you know things you're not telling me and you're not going to tell me because you think it's clever to obstruct justice. What am I going to do with you, Mike? Take you downtown and sweat you? Watch you be a hero because you won't tell me what you know? Get out of here, Mike. Get out. And then in my room in Las Palmas, pull the Murphy bed down, adjust the beaten frame to the broken spring, and 
lullaby yourself to sleep with what makes two girls dead from a pair of silk stockings. What made Stella Martin and Toby Drake so close they had to hug death in the same way? And the next morning, Saturday, torn out of sleep by the sound of the mockingbird screaming the name of Phil Gardner, agent. I told them to button their bills and went there. Girls drop like flies where you walk, McCoy. Uh, turn your gyp sheet into my girl in the cashier's cage. She'll pay you off. Kiss you goodbye for the firm. She'll also give you all the messages from Mabel we've been taking for you. Uh, what's the matter, Phil? Only yesterday we were in love, you and I. So what does it buy me? A lousy ride to a place where the morning paper says a, a has-been is dead? Call her by name, Phil, because you must have called her by name lots of times. Stella Martin. Let me hear you say it. Okay. Now, keep away from me, Mike. I told you, I, I hardly knew the dame. Say her name, Phil. She's dead. The least you can do for her is to say her name. <laughs> say it. Don't... Or else she'll break my arm. Huh? Here, here, and here. Stella. Stella Martin. You kill her, Phil? My arm, Mike. I'll need it to sign your checks. How long have you known Stella? Uh, three months ago, pickup from Dorcas Drive-In on Santa Monica. A guy gets lonesome for a car hop like Stella. A friendly pickup, so help me. You did lovely, Phil. Now, tell me one thing more. You know a man who wears a leather jacket who's seven feet tall? Oh, somebody help me. I got a madman loose. Bye, Philzy. For two lovers like we, you've made the morning stink. <laughs> I got to the drive-in on Santa Monica. A cowgirl with a menu and a pair of heavy-duty sheer dungarees threw a card on my windshield that said Phyllis on it. Dorcas, she asked back. Why, that's old Melv over that away mixing up a parcel of nuts and cheese for the Super Burgers. I uh, moseyed on over to old Melv, but the critter saw me coming and snapped his galluses at me. Howdy. Yep. Do tell. Uh, Mike McCoy, criminal investigation. Melvin Dorcas, short order feller. Howdy. Howdy. You the manager of this place, Malv? Former. Figures. Hmm? Tenderfoot talk. Don't let it throw you. I uh, need some information, Malv. Who'd you say you be? Uh, uh, Mike McCoy, criminal investigations, I be. Don't be a gravel kicker, son. Speak up. What's on your mind? Know a girl named Toby Drake, Malv? Knowed her. Used to work here. One named Stella Martin? Yep. She's due to work this morning. She ain't gonna make it, though. She's dead. Her and Toby. Choked. Seen it in the Gazette. I need your help, Malv. Oh, deputizing me, huh? Well, I don't know. I just don't know. If you don't help, there's liable to be another dead girl. Yeah, Peggy. Who? What's the matter with you, son? You got monkeys in your ears. I said Peggy. Peggy Bryan. On account of them three girls with thicker than a bobcat's tail. Do tell. Thicker than that even. Peggy used to work here, too. Drove to work in Toby's auto. You know where I can find Peggy? North Hollywood she lives in. You wait a little bit. I'll dig up her address. You want to wait, son, or do you got to be riding on? You'll wait, won't you? I'll wait, Melv. I'll wait. I'll wait. We want to make talk for the neighbors inside, Peggy. Come on. Hush, baby girl, hush. See? I'll let you go. Nothing to be scared of. Don't do that. Scream, but don't do that. Kill me. Get it over with so I can rest. Kill me. Try to understand. 
I'm an investigator. I'm hired out. Sometimes I keep people from dying. Sometimes I don't make it. Now, help me, baby, so I can help you. That way will save us both a lot of pain. So frightened. It's because I'm so frightened. Sure. Now, uh, whoever killed Toby and Stella, why would they want to kill you? Tell me, Peggy. Uh, a woman was killed. We killed her. What woman? I don't know. I can't even remember her name. It was three years ago. Toby, Stella, and I, we had a little car, a jalopy. And one day... One day... One day what? This woman crashed into us. It was her fault. Honest, it was her fault. And she was killed. A married woman. The police said it wasn't our fault. It's the only reason. Why else would anyone want us dead? It's Saturday, Peggy. What do you do with yourself on Saturday? I shop for groceries. For a new house dress sometimes. I, I need a new one. We'll go buy you one. And tonight? What'll we do tonight? You mean you're asking me for a date? Mm-hmm. What'll we do tonight, Peggy? Saturday nights, I usually go to Ocean Park. It's fun. Rides and people, the fellas. It's fun. Sure it is. Saturday night, Ocean Park. We'll have fun. Then I made a lot of phone calls to my call service to tell them I was going to Ocean Park with a girl named Peggy Bryan. They told me that Mabel was keeping her line open for me. I told them to tell Mabel to... Uh, to keep it open. Then I called Agent Phil Gardner and let him know where I was going. Next, I got Koska on the phone. I didn't tell him anything. I asked him something. But no tall man in a black leather jacket was newly arrived in the pokey. Finally, I called Roy Fulton, Toby's boyfriend, the man who quoted poetry, and let him know all about my plans for the evening. And then, nothing daunted, I took Peggy Bryan by the arm, opened the door for her, and bowed her into my car with a flourish. Ocean Park, I bowed her out. The least I could do was to make it gay for her. After all, she was my personal pigeon. Let's just walk for a while, Mike. Whatever you say. You hungry, Peggy? Uh-uh. Let's go on the roller coaster. Sure. Peggy. What? Just stand still for a moment. Look around you. See anybody you know? No, Mike. Let's go on the roller coaster. Right. Like it, huh? Sure it is, sure. Want to eat now? I always have fried shrimp when I come to Ocean Park. Yeah, me too. I know what you're doing, Mike. Sure you do. I'm on a Saturday night date with a nice girl. You think you'll find me here, Mike? You want me to level, don't you? Is he going to kill me? Not while I'm here. Come on, let's eat.
Two tickets, please. Thanks. Let's go, Peggy. Stay close to me, Mike. A girl can get lost in the funhouse. A girl can get lost, period. Mike. Oh, Mike. What's the matter, honey? Nothing. I'm having such a good time. You ever been through that spinning barrel? I always fall down. I'll hold your hand. Mike. What? That man. Huh? That man over there who watched us buy our tickets. Which man? The tall one. The one wearing that black leather jacket. Yeah, I see him. Peggy, walk through that spinning barrel. Fall down if you have to, but get right up and get out on the other side. Is he the one? Go on. I'm right in back of you. He's following us. Get out of this thing fast. I'm staying. I've been telling you, son. I've been waiting. Now talk, talk and say, help me. You crazy shaman. Talk! You think I killed her? I didn't kill Stella. She was dead when I got there. I swear she was dead. Yeah, yeah, sure she was. And you come in, I went crazy. I wanted to kill something to get even. Why are you following me? Because you're a shaman. If you get to the killer, I want a piece of him. I didn't kill Stella. You gotta believe me, you gotta... Peggy, what's the matter? The mirror! Look! The mirror! He was in the mirror, all right. His reflection in the crazy, rippled mirror of the funhouse. Roy Fulton's reflection. Long and thin, as if he'd been squeezed together. This time, there was no poetry. Just a gun. I pulled Peggy down on the floor with me. The crowd scattered, and there was nothing in Fulton's way. Mike! It's her! I want Mike! It's her! I was lucky. My shot got to him, but he kept coming. Then it caught up with him. But he didn't fall. Fulton. They killed my wife. They killed her. Sesame. Hello, Miss Ford. Remember me? You wanted me for the uh, talking pictures? Yeah. Uh, Mike. Mm-hmm. Oh, you saw it in the papers. That's right, Roy Fulton. Yeah, his wife had been killed in the automobile accident, and he blamed those three girls for it. He was uh, definitely off his rocker. Uh, baby, uh, baby Miss Ford, uh, what are you doing tonight? A ballet dancer. Instead of me? But a ballet dancer. Miss Ford, Miss Ford, Miss... I'll be seeing you with all your old familiar faces. Hello, uh, Mabel. This is the McCoy. 
The McCoy, starring Howard Duff, is written, directed, and produced by David Friedkin and Morton Fine, with music composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. This has been an NBC Hollywood Program Department presentation. Well, Carl, you could easily have substituted the name of Sam Spade in this one for Mike McCoy. But where was Effie? Indeed. Mike McCoy had no beautiful secretary in this episode. And Duff was the only cast member to be credited. His supporting players included Sheldon Leonard as Police Lieutenant Cosker. This was a change in roles for him, Lisa, as Leonard was usually cast as the heavy or villain in many series. He went on to become one of the most successful producers in television. That's right, Lisa. Sheldon Sheldon Leonard produced The Danny Thomas Show, The Andy Griffith Show, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Gomer Pyle, I Spy, and many others. Sidney Miller portrayed the agent Phil Gardner. With Betty Lou Gearson as Miss Ford. Barton Yarborough, who played Sergeant Joe Friday's partner Sergeant Ben Romero on Dragnet, played Melvin Dorcas in this audition. Another one of the heavies who was knocked out by McCoy during the broadcast was Clayton Post. You may have recognized the announcer, Eddie King. King was the announcer on many NBC West Coast shows, including Richard Diamond, Private Detective, and Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. The Friedkin Fine duo not only wrote, but also directed and produced the audition. They later worked with Sheldon Leonard and were the creative forces behind Leonard's 1960s I Spy series starring Bill Cosby and Robert Culp. The music was by Walter Schumann. Schumann is best known for his radio work on Dragnet and the Abbott and Costello film series. And speaking of films, Howard Duff appeared in several motion pictures. His debut before the camera was alongside Burt Lancaster in the 1947 Mark Hellinger production, Brute Force. It's interesting to see that in the opening credits of the film, Duff is billed as Radio's Sam Spade. Duff had a contract with Universal International at that time and earned more prestigious roles in subsequent films, including The Naked City and Woman in Hiding. It was while making Woman in Hiding that he met his future wife, Ida Lupino. And they would co-star as husband and wife in the 1950s CBS television sitcom Mr. Adams and Eve. Howard Duff also starred in The Felony Squad, which had a three-year stint on ABC during the 1960s. Unfortunately for radio fans, the McCoy did not make it past the audition phase as no network or sponsor was interested. I did enjoy the Sesame gimmick regarding the opening of McCoy's office door. Was this a subtle hint to the industry for them to welcome Duff back after he got blacklisted? That is an interesting supposition, Lisa. Duff did return to radio, appearing in both Hollywood Radio Theater and Sears Radio Theater in the 1970s. He died at age 76 in 1990. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present the audition of Suspense, as heard on CBS's forecast series. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.